today we're on week three, day two, and my name is Rob Walter, and I'm the student ministries pastor here at the church, and I oversee uh, primarily the high school ministry. Uh, and today, this week, we're going to be looking at some of the ways David responds to his difficult situations. And how is David able to remember the truth about the goodness of God when his thoughts and emotions are being challenged by his situations? And so today we're continuing our study of Psalm 15 through 24. And what I would like to do is move forward from Psalm 15 into Psalm 16 through 18. At the same time, let's move backward from Psalm 24 to look at Psalm 20 through 23. And if you're paying close attention, what you'll notice is that we are forward and backward to a centerpiece. That is Psalm 19, one of the most famous psalms in the whole book. And we'll talk about that tomorrow. One of the central themes in Psalm 16 through 18 and Psalm 20 through 23 is this idea of the anointed one. In Psalm 18, verse 50, David writes, God gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David and to his descendants forever. And in Psalm 20, verse 6, he writes, Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. And in Psalm 23, verse 5, David writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now in the Bible, the anointed one has two meanings. The first one is in reference to someone or something that's been anointed by God. And most notably in Psalms, King David himself. In ancient Israel, the priest of God was ceremonially apply oil to an object or to a person that was specially set apart for God's service. And as you read through the Old Testament, you'll find that objects in the temple were anointed, garments were anointed, and the priests themselves were anointed. In 1 Samuel 16, there's a famous story of the prophet Samuel anointing the future King David. The Spirit of God led Samuel to the house of a man named Jesse, who was David's father. And the Holy Spirit told Samuel that one of Jesse's sons would be the future king. Samuel looked over seven of Jesse's sons, but none of them were identified by the Holy Spirit as the future king of Israel. Samuel then asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David knew from a young age that he had been chosen and anointed by the Spirit of God to lead Israel as king. He often uses the phrases anointed one and king interchangeably. So when David talks about the anointed one in his difficult circumstances, he's essentially remembering God's hand over the entire situation. The second meaning of the title anointed one is in reference to the Messiah that Israel was still looking for. 
As readers of the Old Testament, we have already seen David come and go in Samuel and Kings. When the Psalms mention the Anointed One, they seem to be talking about the Anointed King David in his present. Yet we also know that the Israelites were still looking for a Christ to deliver them and establish an everlasting kingdom in their near future. Now, when I was a new Christian, I thought the word Christ was literally Jesus' last name. I thought that his first name was Jesus and his last name was Christ. Like, that makes sense, doesn't it? But the word Christ isn't his last name. It's not a name at all. It's a title. It's a Greek word that just means anointed one. In Hebrew, the word Christ is translated as Messiah. And they all refer to the anointed one, the king. That's why whenever the authors of the Bible use the word Christ, they're referring to the fact that Jesus is our ultimate king, the son of God set apart for God's service. In 2 Samuel 7, God sends the prophet Nathan to David and gives him this promise. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And God promised David that the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, would come from David's family line, and he would be the king of all, established forever. The Bible tells us that the Messiah, the Anointed One, would suffer on our behalf, and that he would save us from our sins. Psalm 22 gives us a foreshadowing of the suffering Messiah. It's amazing how the suffering king is a picture of David in his present, and yet simultaneously it points to Israel's Messiah that was still to come. In Psalm 22, David writes a prayer to God where he's looking for relief from the persecution and the harassment from those who were against him. And David wrote these words by the leading and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And hundreds of years later, these words were ultimately fulfilled by Jesus Christ on the cross. Psalm 22 begins this way. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night I find no rest. Again, we see words written by David fulfilled in the future Messiah. While Jesus was on the cross in Matthew 27 verse 46, he directly quoted these verses in the Hebrew language that they were originally written in. And if we are to believe that the Psalms were originally songs that were sung by God's people, could it be that while Jesus was suffering on the cross, he wasn't just quoting a Bible verse, but he was singing out a song to God. Psalm 22 goes on to prophesy in detail the events of the crucifixion of Jesus. Verses 14 through 18 say, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. These words spoken about David foreshadow the suffering of Christ that would be endured on the cross. 
the nails that fastened his hands and his feet to the cross, and the fact that Roman soldiers played a dice game to see who could keep Jesus' clothes after he'd been crucified. And these words not only remind us of the suffering of Jesus, but of the intense love that he has for you and me. These words remind us of the length that Jesus went to in order to make us right with God. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb who died on the cross in our place. Our sins separated us from God, but Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, paid for our sins on the cross, and now we're able to be at peace with God. He paid a debt that we could never pay on our own, all because of his indescribable and incredible love for you and me. And our lives are able to be a lifelong thank you to Jesus for his sacrifice for us. And as we read these Psalms, let's take a moment to remember Jesus' love for us, his sacrifice for us, and let's devote our lives to him all over again. couldn't end a study on Psalm 20 through 23 without taking time to talk about one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written, Psalm 23. And before you get on with what's next in your day, I would encourage you to take a moment to open to Psalm 23 and to read it slowly and to read it out loud. Some Bible scholars believe that this Psalm was written at the end of David's life as he reflected on God's goodness to him. And it begins with that famous line, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And this is one of the rare occasions that I prefer the old King James translation that reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. And these scholars conclude that as David looked back on his life, he remembered his days as a shepherd boy looking after the sheep and he concluded that God had been a shepherd to him. God was protecting him, providing for him, and leading him. And David leaned on God's control over all circumstances. Later in the psalm, he says in the Old King James Version, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And scholars conclude that David looked back and remembered the troubles and all the dark valleys that he had been through in his life. And he remembered that through it all, God was always with him and God had never, ever abandoned him. The final lines say, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in these lines, David remembers his days as the king of Israel and the victories that God has given him. He remembered those days when he ran for his life from King Saul and from his own son, Absalom. And he concludes that it wasn't his enemies that were chasing him, but it was God's loyal love that was pursuing him all the days of his life. Well, here's a fun idea. Think about your story with God and how it began and how it developed and where you are now. And just like David, use your creativity to express how God has been faithful to you 
for all the days of your life. And maybe this is something that you could share with your friends and family or your community group. Or maybe this is just something that you keep to yourself. No matter what, let's follow David's example in praising God for his faithful love for his anointed one and for us even when times get tough.